Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We'll be in Philippians 4. Verses 10 through 23. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father God, as we just read from Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in need. This is what Christ purchased with his blood, confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. God, this is why we gather to worship in song and fellowship in the ministry of the word, that we might draw near to you. So God, we ask this morning that you would give us this confidence that we would bring our needs to you, whether they are physical needs, emotional needs, relational needs. You say, come to me. Cast our burdens on you, and you will give us rest for our souls. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. Yeah? I was sick last week. Hopefully you noticed I wasn't here. Uh, I don't get sick, but like once every five years, and I missed Testimony Sunday, so that was very, very sad, but it was awesome. appreciate you all being here in my stead. So, 
Lots of new faces in the room. Say hi to people. Lots of sick people as well. I didn't give them to it. Give, give it to them. That's why I didn't come. But be praying for them. Check in on them. So back in 1999, long time ago, right? I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to China. I was there for a couple months. We traveled all over southern China. And at one point on this trip, we took a 24-hour bus which is a really weird, it had like beds and stuff. We took a 24-hour bus from Kunming to the southwestern border of China. And most of you probably don't know your Chinese ge geography, but you can talk to Eli, he will let you know. It's way south, way west, and so once we get there, we hopped in the back of a truck for another hour into the deeper boonies of China, right on the border of Vietnam and Laos. So we were in the middle of nowhere, and we show up at this village. And this village consisted of maybe 10 or 15 wooden structures kind of up on stilts with pigs living underneath these houses. The streets were mud. It was quite literally the edge of the world. There was nothing for countless miles except this little pieced-together village. And eventually, once we were there, we sat down with the guy who was head over the village. It was like eight Westerners and this Chinese man. And we were talking about his village and life. And we get to this point where we asked, what do you need? Right? That's what you do when a Westerner shows up anywhere other than the West. Like, what do you need? And the man looked at us with a really strange look. And to our surprise, he's like, I don't need anything. And we were like, okay, he obviously doesn't understand the question, right? We, we see this. So what, what exactly do you need? He's like, nothing. So we ask again and again and again. It was super weird. But then finally, after the sixth or seventh time of communicating this question from every angle possible, the man says, well... We can't drink the water out of the well except for five months of the year. So I guess that might be a need. My brain and my heart exploded at the same time. This man, living in conditions so unimaginable to any of us, was so incredibly content with his life. So used to the daily struggles and trials that he lived inside of, he didn't even understand the question. Boiling water seven months out of the year wasn't something that he complained about. It was just what he called life. And he was so content with the life that he had in the absolute middle of nowhere that the idea of need was hard for him to even wrap his mind around. Talk about somebody dropping uh, a grenade into your worldview. And the obvious takeaway from that trip that has stuck with me for so many years is that I have a pretty dysfunctional view of need. And when I say dysfunctional, that's probably a softer word than we could use. It's messed up. And this dysfunctional view is not just in light of the gospel need, but in comparison to the physical reality of the world at large. In my naive Western understanding, I thought I was bringing hope to these poor people in China. 
I thought that satisfying their physical needs would give us an inroad to telling them about Jesus. But the startling reality is that these people were more content than I had ever been, and they didn't even know Jesus. I didn't even realize it, but my understanding of contentment in Christ was so married to the affluence that I existed in, I had no framework for faith in Jesus apart from the affluence. My view of contentment and need and hope had been so clouded by consumption that I had no ground to speak of joy and sufficiency in Christ to these people. What am I going to say? They needed Christ, I knew that, but the reality was that they were far more content with having nothing than I was with having all of this stuff that I thought was important and Christ. And listen, I'd have been the first one to say, Christ is all I need to my suburban friends, right? Yeah, that's all I need in life. But if I lived in that village, I'm not so sure that I would have voiced the same thing. And I'd love to say, right, I've had 24 years to work on this. I figured it out, but I haven't. The slow road of seeing and savoring the greatness of Christ is a lifelong journey. And the affluence we live inside of doesn't help. It doesn't help. iPhones, Netflix, social media, Having every hobby or form of entertainment at the tip of our fingers is actually not stirring our hearts to worship Jesus more. It's not. One might actually argue that it's lulling us to sleep, rendering us ineffective, stifling our worship. So at the outset of our time this morning, I would ask you to put yourself into that village I described and ask, is Christ all I need? And I know that's a hard question. I'm not here to guilt anybody, right? I lived it, I went through it, and I know the answer back then was a glaring no. But my prayer this morning is that through the word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this question would be burned into our hearts and into our minds. That we would wrestle with the question. That we would look at our lives and all the things that we call needs and ask ourselves again and again, is Christ all I need? Which brings me to our text this morning. We're obviously not going to talk about all that Carrie read, mainly the beginning section Paul begins by giving thanks once again for the Philippians' generosity. And, and right in the middle of this thanksgiving, we find this profound and often overlooked phrase. Paul says in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. And that's pretty crazy. It's a crazy thing for Paul to say given his circumstances, right? He's sitting in prison. Minimal food, little company, horrible conditions, awaiting a trial that may lead to his death. And he says, I don't really have any needs. There's not really anything I'm lacking right now. It's like that man from the village is like, what's wrong with you? Right? We see what's going on here. 
But Paul, he had adopted this revolutionary position that he had no needs. None. All of his needs had been met in Jesus. So all that was left was wants. But even his wants were dictated by his love for Christ and his desire for the gospel to advance. Paul has made clear in the past text we've read that he wasn't perfect. He still struggled with sin and doubt and failure. But what we read in this morning's text is that he had learned that when he's starving and suffering, imprisoned, even facing death, he still has everything because he has Christ. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. If you have Christ, then you have everything. And so we have to ask, do we live as though we have everything in Christ? I can go there in my mind. I get it. I'm preaching it to you. But I'm also where, well, where, well, I am well aware of the reality that my life does not always reflect this reality. I have a lot of needs because if I want something, that means I need it. That's the American way. And if I need it, I'm typically going to find a way to get it. Just like I'm prepping this sermon this week and I get a pamphlet in the mail from Kubota. They make tractors. I used to have a tractor. I loved my tractor. This pamphlet said that you can get a new tractor 0% down for 84 months. And I was like, I need a tractor. <laughs> really bad. And I start working the numbers and I, I convinced myself that I should get a tractor, but I don't even have a car. That's what's wrong with me. I was going to get a tractor, and I don't have a vehicle. I'd be driving to church in a tractor, which would be awesome, by the way. That's my messed up view of need. See, Scripture is constantly pointing to something greater, something more fulfilling. Something eternal. Not only do we have a dysfunctional view of what we truly need, but we're continually looking to all the wrong places for the fulfillment that we so eagerly desire. But here's what Paul says in verse 8, 19. He says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Mm. God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. So this is about a lot more than just physical needs, right? Emotional needs, spiritual needs, big needs, small needs. So when your to-do list for the day is ridiculously long and your mind is spinning and everything in you saying, forego that time in the word, Forgo prayer. You've got a busy day. You need to get stuff done. God's saying, trust me. 
Spend time with me. I will supply every need. When the pressure of life or work or relationships are weighing down your soul and you feel hopeless and alone, right? You either want to push in and work harder, right? Tunnel vision, nose to the ground, or maybe you just like curl up and shut down altogether, right? Just shut life off. God's saying, bring your burdens to me. I will supply every need. He is the wellspring of our joy. If you have Christ, you have everything. In him, our needs, our hopes, our desires, they are refined according to the riches in glory in Jesus Christ. And when we talk about this word contentment, I want to be clear. Biblical contentment is not settling for less. It's not about what you're willing to go without. It's about realizing we already have everything in Christ. It is immersing ourselves in Christ in such a way that our hearts are transformed. It's setting our minds on the glory of Christ and learning the reality that if we have him, we have everything. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So I don't think that it would be a stretch to say that we have an epidemic of discontentment in our culture. We have more toys, more entertainment, more affluence than most people on the entire planet. And yet, most people walk around with some level of dissatisfaction with their life, discontentment with their life. And this is a really easy place to pick on the kids, right? They love that. The number of times I hear the words, I'm bored, right? And then I look inside of their room and all the toys and the electronics and it's just the junk stuff. Where on earth did they learn that, parents? Right? Where'd they learn that? Then you roll up the garage door. Uh-huh. Look in the attic, open up the closet. We realize we're not all that different, right? That on some level, maybe our children's discontentment is a learned behavior. Because we have endless toys and electronics and hobbies and things that promise us they're going to bring us joy. Yet we find ourselves bored, dissatisfied, searching for the next thing that promises once again to satiate that yearning for some meaning, something lasting. So Cheryl and I, we're teen parents now. Teen parents. It's scary. It's been a hard shift, right? When we started, we were like the little kid parents. 11 plus years ago, now we're, we're teen parents. So we have three teenagers and one tween. Cheryl told me that was the word. I don't know what it means. But we've got three teenagers and a tween in our home. And so I used to stand up here and talk about stepping on Legos. 
And Iris still rocks the Legos some. That may be what a tween is, like a grown-up that likes Legos. But now, most of our conversations are about technology, right? iPhones, iPads, TVs, computers, texting, poloing, friending, being social. It's maddening. It is maddening. And we set all these parameters that just seem like a losing battle all the time. It's like we're plugging a leaky dam with everything we can find just waiting for the water to pour over and kill us all. That may be a bit too much, but that's what it feels like. We know that the dam is going to overflow because as many parameters as we want to put on our kids, we're plugged in 24-7. We're entertained 24-7. We're social 24-7. We live in this world where there's more to do and more to see and more information at our fingertips than any other time in human history. We live in the most entertained and most connected time that humanity has ever experienced, and yet so many people are bored out of their minds, frustrated, purposeless, discontent, depressed, anxious. And we keep coming back to the same well over and over, expecting a different result. Like, maybe this time it's going to satisfy. But the elusive contentment never seems to come. In the first century, contentment actually wasn't a Christian word. We, like, stole it. It was actually deeply rooted in Stoicism. Contentment was, like, the pentacle of Stoic virtue. And how the Stoics defined contentment was literally self-sufficiency. It was to be strong enough or possess enough to not need aid or support. It was seeking to live independently and without passion, unaffected by external circumstances. And I get that type of contentment. I would have been a rock star in the Stoic world. Without Christ, I'm super self-sufficient. I don't like people helping me. I'm not shaken by external circumstances. And passionate is not a word that is often used to describe me. I'm even keel. I'm self-sufficient. I'm content. And so, as Paul talked about being content in all situations, the Philippians would have heard or had in their minds like that type of self-sufficient strength. But what Paul does so often is he takes the cultural understanding of the day and he flips it on his head. You know what Paul would have said about self-sufficient contentment? He'd have said, you're a fool. You are a fool. Paul takes the world's understanding of contentment, this self-sufficiency, and he calls us to a contentment in Christ. He calls us to live our lives fully satisfied in the sufficiency of Jesus. Contentment is not just another virtue that we're called to strive towards. It is the very root of the Christian life. If we are not satisfied in Christ, if he is not our treasure and our hope, then we will be no different than the rest of the world, trying to find satisfaction and meaning and hope and joy, endlessly chasing but never finding. And the unfortunate reality is that many Christians have never actually experienced contentment in Christ. We know that God said he will supply every need according to the riches in glory in Jesus. 
But that's not the kind of riches we're chasing sometimes. The intimate presence of God in our lives is often not the treasure we most desire. And I'm not talking about what, what we say we value with our mouths, right? We know what to say. I'm talking about what we value with our actions, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, how we spend our money and our thoughts. That tells us what we love, what we treasure. And you see, Paul didn't stumble into contentment. He didn't wake up one day and find himself so satisfied in the Lord and say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's not how it goes. It's not how contentment happens. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned to be content. And then in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And if Paul, the guy who had a miraculous, powerful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus had to learn contentment, then we most certainly have some learning to do. So how? How do we learn contentment? I think Paul gets it two different ways we learn contentment in this text. First, he's talking about learning intellectually. There is a mental element to contentment. It's the same way we're hopefully learning now. He learned from Scripture. He read David's song in Psalm 63.3, Your steadfast love is better than life. Psalm 4.7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. He would have known Jesus' words when he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But Paul's learning was more than just information. Paul learned contentment experientially. He says in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Like he experienced them. Abundance and need. Been there. It's not just intellectual understanding, but he had learned through experiences in his life. He learned to be content through shipwrecks and starving and beatings and imprisonment, through loneliness and betrayal and hurt, through all of these struggles. Paul knew this secret, that it is Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. It wasn't Paul's self-sufficient power it wasn't his discipline or stubbornness. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Jesus is like the life hack for contentment, okay? It's that easy. He's the power and he is the purpose. We have to stop looking inward at ourselves and our circumstances and look to Jesus, Trust in the power that is ours through him and treasure him for who he is. So Paul learned to be content by living in Lydia's house with all of the abundance and opulence. He was able to sit in the midst of all those possessions and still love Jesus, still treasure Christ, still know that he is better. 
And Paul could lay near death outside the city after being stoned as his friends gather around to see if he's dead. And he could get up, remember Christ, remember the call on his life and the contentment he has in Jesus and walk right back into that city. What Paul learned both intellectually and experientially What he's passing on to the Philippians and to us in the closing of this letter is that true contentment is not gauged by circumstances or possessions. True contentment is a deep-seated satisfaction in Christ. It's trusting in everything he's promised. It's knowing that in him we have everything we need for this life. So if the Lord brings wealth, praise him. Use your wealth to advance the kingdom of God, to glorify Jesus, to serve him completely. Lay everything you have before him and say, all is yours. And if the Lord brings poverty, if it's nothing, if it's struggle and pain, praise him. Lay your life before him and say, I will trust you to provide everything I need and to do everything you've called me to do. If the Lord's called you to be a stay-at-home mom with all the struggles and trials that come with it, cherish the time. Don't despise it. Open your heart to God and ask him to strengthen you in raising up children by his grace and love. And if you're unemployed or you're stuck in a job you hate, guess what? Praise him. Give it to God. Maybe he's freed up your time for a reason. Maybe he's using these trials to draw you deeper into dependence upon him. To see that your identity is not in what you do, but who he says that you are. It's so easy to become consumed with our own life and to miss what God is doing in our midst, to miss the call he has on our lives, to miss the joy that is right in front of us. So wherever you are currently in this life, you are exactly where God wants you in this moment. That's how sovereignty works. You're exactly where God has you. Doesn't mean that that we may not try and better the situation, doesn't mean we don't work hard and seek to advance our place in life. But wherever he has you today is exactly where you're called to be. So live for him today. Look to him today. Enjoy him today. So if we go back to Paul's secret, I mean, kind of the words out now, but He had a secret, how he's learned to find joy in every situation. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret is that all power, all joy, all hope, all strength flows from Christ. He's the secret. Biblical contentment is not about self-sufficiency. It's about Christ's sufficiency. Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing will bring you lasting joy. 
Nothing will bring you fulfillment, nothing. You will run and achieve and seek and desire, but the more you attain, the bigger the void in your soul will grow. And just to be clear, like pop Christianity has taken this verse way out of context, right? When Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he's not talking about winning your flag football game. Jesus doesn't care about the Astros, obviously. It's not talking about starting your business, building your new church building, or achieving all your goals. That's not really what's happening in this text. He's talking about living in the rest and the joy Christ promises in all circumstances. He's saying Christ's sufficiency is the power to live in the midst of abundance and need, sickness and health, success and failure, the mundane and the exciting times. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ because he knew he had all things in Christ. So if you want to claim the power of Christ in your life like this, you have to rest in the promises of Christ. So we come back to the question, just in case you forgot it from the beginning, is Christ enough for you? Is he enough? When you survey your life, do you believe you have everything in him? That everything else is rubbish compared to Jesus? Do you value Christ above all else? And the truth is that as long as we are on this earth, we will struggle here, right? This is part of our sanctification. We will struggle with faith. We will be battling sin and doubt and fear as long as we live. So the question's not, have you arrived? Because the answer's no. But how are you fighting for joy? How are you fighting for contentment in the sufficiency of Christ? We don't need more Christian tasks or more Christian talk. What we need is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and immerse ourselves in the promise that in him we have everything. We need to pray that the spirit would move in a powerful way in our hearts and in this church so that we would comprehend the reality of Jesus' words that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to lose our lives. Or Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. As long as we're seeking our identity or our purpose or our security in this world or in other people, we will never experience the abundant life promised in Jesus. Only when we let go, or as Jesus says, lay down our lives. Only when we lose our life and throw ourselves into the arms of our loving Savior can we find the joy that we so desperately desire. So as we prepare to sing and pray and take communion, I would just ask that that question just remains in your mind. Is Christ all I need? And if the answer is no, then confess this to God and ask him to help you.
right? Because that's what you need. And he said, he'll provide what you need. He will transform your heart. And we ask him for that, that we would see the glory and the joy of Christ that is freely offered. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask that you would teach us contentment, not self-sufficiency, self-centered contentment, but a contentment that flows from the sufficiency of Jesus. God, make us a people that enjoy all of the wonderful blessings that you have provided in this life, but who also hold them loosely, knowing that if we have Christ, we have everything. God, you know that this is not easy in our culture, that there are fleeting promises of joy and satisfaction coming at us from every direction all the time. So we just pray for your strength. I pray that your spirit would guide us and protect us and that we, as your people, would encourage one another to continue to pursue you and the joy that you have promised. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.